Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Rebecca King, and this week, as a part of our ever-growing topic of people, places, and ideas to explore, we consider numismatics. That's right, numismatics. Now, if you're like me, I had no idea what this was. Luckily for us, we had an expert in the field here at Washington University. Numismatics is the study of coins and currency. So let's talk about what coins are. A coin is a metal disc that bears a stamp of authority that indicates a certain value and that it was issued by the appropriate government authority. That was William Bubelis, an assistant professor in the classics department, and he specializes in the study of numismatics and early banking. It was clear from the start of our interview that he really loves what he does. When we entered his office, his desk was full of ancient coins from his personal collection. Each one was labeled and stored in a neat plastic holder, and he happily told us stories about the coins on his desk. Though these ancient coins may not be in circulation any longer, the information they can give researchers like Bubelis is invaluable. One of the most promising areas of research has always been that of the badges of authority that a state uses on its coins. So we're talking about images, representations of gods, representations of national pride, heroes. And you can trace a culture's evolution through its coinage. For many cultures in the ancient world, coins are our most valuable research tool. If we lack texts, Coins are often our only way to figure out who ruled when, under what kinds of circumstances, under what conditions. And they allow us to chart a country's history through war and peace, through economic prosperity and economic privation. You also get to tackle a very important issue with cultures, and that is how they value other objects, whether it's a loaf of bread or it's pay for a month's mercenary service. The coins tell us enormous information, if we learn to interpret them correctly, about those relative values and how they change over time. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did currency come from? Who first decided to make coins and why? Coinage itself develops in what is now Western Turkey around the late 7th century BC. And the first coins are a mixture of gold and silver, what we call electrum. And there was a very large kingdom in the area called Lydia, whose famous king Croesus started minting these coins, probably to pay soldiers or to facilitate some kind of state payment. But what the Lydians did, which really made coinage appear and then catch on like wildfire across the Greek world, was that they made the coins in specific sizes and they stamped images of their own authority upon them. So what made these coins so valuable wasn't the gold and silver they were made from, but the fact that the government was setting and guaranteeing the coins' relative worth. Obviously, this is a much more stable method than bartering. 
You can see this at a kid's lunch table. Maybe you want my grilled cheese sandwich, but all you have to trade is an orange, and I don't like oranges, so I won't trade with you. You may love oranges as much as you love grilled cheese sandwiches and think that it's a very fair trade, but since I don't value oranges as much as you do, the trade isn't worth it for me. But if you offer me a dollar for my sandwich, that dollar has the same value to you, me, and the lunch lady who sells chocolate milk. So the coin could be accepted within the kingdom regardless of how much gold or silver was actually in the coin. And what mattered was simply that you had a coin of this size. And that's what all coins really do. It doesn't matter when you receive change from getting a coffee at Starbucks, whether the coins that we get now have any precious metal in them. A quarter dollar is a quarter dollar. And it's a quarter so long as you can give that either back to the government and pay taxes ultimately, or you can pay for your next coffee. Currency expanded throughout the region, and researchers can actually use coins to trace the evolution of an economy, from something barter-based to something like the retail economy of today. Let's go back to the Lydians. The Lydians initially mint their electrum coins, those mixed gold and silver coins, in very small sizes. And that suggests that the value of these coins is actually very high. You don't need a lot of metal to pay off a mercenary who certainly ought to be paid well. Over time, those coins and the weights and measures used for them tend to get bigger. And that means that prices are declining. And so what happens is King Croesus of Lydia stops minting electrum alone and then starts minting distinct coins of gold and silver. And the silver allows for you to pay for things as small as a sheep or a few loaves of bread at a time. And what we can see in the coins themselves is that the coins, when they get to silver and when they get to gold, they start getting very, very small. And they're also mass produced. Even by the late 6th century BC, the coins can be made in the millions. And they're all hand struck, probably by a team of workmen, very likely slaves. But there's only so much gold and silver, and they start turning to bronze coins. And they start introducing coins which have very little intrinsic value that allow trade and commerce to be conducted at very low levels. Instead of needing the equivalent of a $20 bill, you now have a half dollar, a quarter dollar, if you will. And that tells us that it's possible to think of a retail economy. So prices have come down with coins. You can actually buy something instead of having to barter or use some other mechanism of exchange. Currency is obviously a pretty successful economic system. But what about counterfeits? How long did it take people to start scamming this new system? The counterfeits appear as early as the coins do. And that tells us something very important about the exchangeability of coins because once they are released from a state treasurer, from the mint, there's no telling what can happen to them. And that's probably not what the Lydian kings anticipated. Okay, so people figured out pretty quickly that since coins weren't worth something intrinsically, but rather had their worth stamped upon them with government seals, they could be ripped off, copied, and reproduced pretty easily. What did these early counterfeits look like? 
it's actually a very sophisticated technique of taking a bronze or lead core, stamping images on it that mimic very, very closely the official images, and then taking either a sheet of electrum and coating the object or by using a battery to electroplate the coins. The penalty for this, of course, was death when caught by state authorities, and it appears to have been practiced quite frequently because there was enough temptation and profit to be made in making counterfeits of your own. All societies have this problem. We do as well today. But coins and currency aren't the only counterfeits Professor Bubelis has discovered in his research, and it's led him to an area not normally considered when looking at numismatics. The other kind of study that I'm interested in doing is to think about the margins of what numismatics traditionally has been. And tokens lies at the margins. These are coin-like devices, minted usually on metal, but sometimes they could be made with clay, and presumably in the past they could be made on other perishable goods. They bear some kind of stamp of authority, but they could be issued not only by the state, but even by private parties. And they were used to restrict a certain benefit to a particular person or group. And those actually are quite voluminous, but we've never really studied tokens in the ancient world. Tokens can be found in modern society in terms of arcade tokens, bus tokens, driver's licenses, boarding passes, railway tickets. All those have very ancient roots. Tokens in antiquity are very helpful in illuminating the relationship between the state and the populace. Because where coins are meant to be a freely exchanged medium and store of value, that's part of the definition of a coin, the tokens were meant to be used in only particular circumstances. And yet we find counterfeits. We find fakes. And that tells us that people are treating them like coins. So what's happening? I'm interested in understanding the psychology of money as it applies to these pseudo-monetary elements out there. And I think that this project will have some capacity in shedding light on the origin of other things we take for granted in the modern age, like checks or a credit card, because the ancient token is a badge of identity. And a check depends upon the same kinds of psychological, social structures. And I think this will really help to illuminate those issues. Many thanks to Professor William Bubelis for meeting with us. But the conversation doesn't end here. This week, we're excited to share a video on our website featuring the John Max Wolfing coin collection at Washington University in St. Louis, where Professor Bubelis gets to show us numismatics in action. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, you can find Hold That Thought at thought.artsci.wustel.edu. Join us next week for the return of Out There, the science of exploring the universe.